This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train, and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello, this is episode 56 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a Building Big training day where we were joined by Terry Virgo who was telling his story and sharing how we can build big churches and movements. We want to bring you some of the excerpts from that training day and over the next few months we'll be interspersing those excerpts with some of the other content that we have for you. Today we're going to be bringing you the first section of Terry's content on that day where he's telling the story of the early days of his ministry. You can find the full notes on this episode at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 56. So here is Terry Virgo. Uh, I want to just start by going back to the beginning and just saying, uh, when I got saved, church life was dramatically different. Uh, I know for some of you who've been saved in more recent years, praise God, um, you'd never experienced it. So, to be honest, there were many, many battles. Uh, so, for me, very backslidden. I got saved out of a pagan world, completely non-Christian world. Parents were not believers. No exposure to the gospel. And uh, I got saved in my home, and I knew it was real. I knew I'd found God. I, it was wonderful, really. I, I, you, can, you can know God personally. I'd never heard of such a thing. And then I was taken to John Stott's church. My sister, was, who led me to Christ, was attending there. And I heard John Stott, first time I'd ever heard a preacher, preach the gospel. And I, I was spellbound. I went forward, shook the great man's hand, and, uh, and then went into backsliding, really. Um, I went to a very good church, but my life was entrenched in a culture and I think this is you know more and more going to be the case when people get saved now their value system is so vastly vastly different uh, to what has become uh, our lives and where we live in the community of God and so for me to make the switch was very very difficult Uh, all my friends whom I'd been with for five years maybe since I was probably about 13 I made friends with teenagers and I'd been going with them, and so I got saved at 16, I messed around until I was about 20, and then one Sunday, thoroughly, thoroughly, in one sermon, which is hugely encouraging for preachers, uh, I, I mean, just totally turned me around, and the fear of God for the first time, I think. Um, I felt God said to me, I want your life, I want it now, and I felt God said to me, this is the last time I'm going to speak to you about it which scared the life out of me because I'd been hovering around had times when I tried again I gave it up again um, so I'd be in church every Sunday but everything else I mean I was drunk most Saturday nights I was all over the place um, it's a ridiculous lifestyle and that morning completely changed my life so I, I used to travel on a train daily so I buried myself initially in books I was given I wasn't a reader before started reading biographies of great men and women of God which was hugely life changing you know reading about uh, first the five Ecuador martyrs and going on you know, Hudson Taylor George Mueller uh, George Whitfield Spurgeon these biographies biographies what a man of God can do and it captivated me absolutely captivated me 
then I met a guy who started a small group because before then um, church life was so different that it was hard to get to know anybody um, it just said on the wall don't speak in the sanctuary literally uh, so you went and heard the guy preach and went home and then you heard the guy preach next week and went home so the community which we found so vital being in homes being in one another's lives was unknown didn't know it wasn't happening so I went to what would be regarded as a very good Baptist church terrific preacher I didn't get to know anybody so none of those one another verses was happening not one and uh, you know we know now don't we pray for one another encourage one another confess your faults to one another you know, admonish one another all that stuff um, I had no Colin in my life to admonish me and uh, I've been doing it ever since but uh, um, now, there, was, there was no one in your face discipling was not happening it wasn't part of the Christian life was you lived your world you went to church on Sunday if you were a good Christian you went twice on Sunday um, uh, the morning for the believers the evening for the sinners that's how it was and uh, you just went to church you were a church goer that phrase had become part of the vocabulary and, and for me being invited by a guy into his home one evening uh, he's, I, I, I was longing to know more and uh, no encouragement at home at all. What on earth are you up to? You're losing your friends. You're taking this religion too seriously. That was the kind of stuff at home. And uh, I was beginning to realize there was more. There must be more. Reading these biographies, you read these guys, suddenly his life changed. Something happened to him. Um, and uh, this friend of mine I just met, I'm starting a Monday night house fellowship. Uh, not, it wasn't a church, it was just an, an evening Bible study. But a rather different attitude to the Bible study. It was, uh, I wanna, he said, I want to have a Bible study, but I want us to believe every promise and obey every command. And, you know, I just said, yeah, okay. You know, I didn't know what I was saying, really. Uh, so we started. There was about eight of us, small group. I think everyone in that group was filled with the Spirit within a year. And that was radically new radically new when we started I mean the baptism of the spirit was for Pentecostals who were outsiders the mainstream of church had left Pentecostalism outside and it was unknown, suddenly uh, we got, I got filled with the spirit and, uh, and people were beginning to get filled with the spirit and it was in the context of this guy's prayer meeting which was very much it wasn't just let's start with prayer it was kind of half prayer we're praying, we're praying for a revival which was a respectable thing to pray for in those days evangelicals prayed for revival it had nothing to do with Pentecostalism I heard J. Edwin Orr I went to the Filey Convention which you've probably never heard of going back many decades Filey Butlins or something and uh, I heard J. Edwin Orr preach on the spirit filled life and uh, he's a great writer on revival I went forward and uh, I thought I don't know what I'm going forward for and I was, was counselled by a Baptist pastor and I said I don't want the Holy Spirit he said you don't mean that Pentecostal stuff do you and I said I don't know what I mean I just and he, he warned me off of that stuff a very nice man but warned me off this stuff and so that's where I was at that time longing for a breakthrough and then got filled with the Spirit 
and uh, within quite a short space of time I felt God called me uh, to leave my secular job uh, I used to commute to London every day to work and uh, I just went to a Pentecostal church, heard a prophecy which was calling for more devotion, more prayer. Well, we were using every spare moment we had to pray for revival. Um, the, the Monday night fellowship was an intense prayer time and Bible study. And then we thought we're not praying enough, so we met Saturday mornings. We pray all Saturday morning too. A little group of us crying, God, just a group of youngsters. I was about 21 at the time. Lord, come in revival. Come and we pray for every church in Brighton. I was living in Brighton. So we'd name the churches one after another. Lord, come and visit that church. Visit that church. And just praying, come in Brighton. Come with power uh, across this area. And uh, that's what we're longing for, longing that God would come. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, when we got filled with the Spirit, and I felt God said, I want more of your prayer life, or more life, more time. And uh, so I thought, well, I can't do that. And a Jehovah's Witness knocked my door one day. It was about my age, I thought. I said, how do you live? And he said, I clean windows in the morning. And I do this in the afternoon. I found that very provocative. I thought, for that rubbish message, you can do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I was reading these missionary books, you know. And uh, I felt... And then the same meeting, second prophecy was... Because I thought, well, how could I do that? And uh, the second prophecy was, those who put me first, I'll look after that in Tracy. And I gave my notice the next day and left work. Um, and funnily enough, one of the other young men in the group, he was in Scotland at the time, made the same decision that same weekend, amazingly. And we both left work together. So the guy who hosted the group... This other young man who actually went to Bible college that following about six months later and then went off to Bolivia for a lifetime of phenomenal ministry. Um, for a, a few months together, three of us praying every day for revival, every morning. We'd meet Monday to Friday, every, every morning we'd spend like three hours praying for revival. Um, and then go door to door in the afternoons. Then Keith went to college, my other friend became the leader of British Youth of Christ, and I was on my own. So that's how it was uh, initially. That's how I just got into life in the spirit and an awareness that there was more. I just there's got to be more than this. I mean, we sing that now, but it's still true, I guess. But in those days, there was so much more than this. Um, and uh, I think that... I, 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 when I, was, I left work, I was doing door-to-door and all this kind of stuff, doing what I could... And I felt God gave me a promise that was unexpected. I was meditating in Genesis and I came across this verse. Uh, I will not leave you. I'll read it actually, why not? Um, where Paul, uh, God speaks to uh, Jacob actually. And uh, he says to Jacob, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And it was one of those times, I'm sure you've known them, where the scripture just comes alive to you. You know it's God speaking to you. But I couldn't understand it because I wasn't going anywhere. So how could it be, I'll bring you back? 
and uh, and then within a few months, I guess it must have been, I got clearly led by God to go to London to go to Bible College, uh, which I was totally opposed to. Uh, I still am. Uh, I went against my will. I put all kinds of um, things in front of me that made it impossible, but God cleared them all away. Uh, extraordinarily, uh, I, I applied too late. I was told you must apply for a grant. Those were the days you had grants. Um, I applied for that a year too late. Uh, I didn't have an interview. I was given a full grant, the first grant ever given by the Sussex County to a theological student. Ridiculous. Every, all the barriers fell down and I went. And so there you go, I have to go to Bible college. And uh, I mean, I'm sure I didn't go for Bible college. I went to meet my wife, Wendy, who I, I wouldn't have met her if I'd not gone. Um, and uh, I, then I also went to an extraordinary church. Um, and it was a church of people recently filled with the Spirit. And uh, it wasn't a typical church. It didn't represent a region. It was near Charing Cross, but people came from all over London into it. It was about this size. Um, it got bigger week by week. I met in a boardroom of some offices. But the sense of the presence of God, I'd never met anything like it before. Uh, just a dramatic, the worship. Again, you've got to go back and back. Um, we still, you know, give out redemption hymn, the hymn book. You all had a hymn book in your hand. We didn't have an instrument in the room. Uh, and people say, can we sing this? Can we sing that? And people will start singing out. I think why they get called choruses is originally hymns had a chorus. And people remember the chorus. <laughs> That's how, how these songs get called choruses. Um, and uh, so they just happened. It was spontaneous. It was phenomenal. Uh, prophetic songs, uh, prophetic tongues sung in Calypso and interpreted in Calypso. I mean, I'd never been anything like it before. Absolutely stunning and wonderful. And healings. Um, I was there for about three years. And uh, for me, it was hugely formative. Uh, so that at the end of three years... What do you do now? My Baptist pastor said, you're going to become a Baptist pastor now. And I thought, no, no chance. I cannot go back. I've been ruined. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had invitations from different things, organizations, so on. I thought, no, no, can't, no, no, can't do any of that. And then I was invited to go to a church in a very small town called Seaford on the south coast, which you hardly would have heard of between Brighton and Eastbourne. And they were, they were a pioneering group. They were evangelical. It was a free evangelical church. But I was excited by their pioneering heart. Not many people were starting new churches in those days. Pretty unknown. Um, but they were not charismatic. So I said, if, will you come? We asked, will you come and be our first pastor? I said, if I come, um, you just need to know I've been filled with the Spirit. I've been in this church that's Spirit-filled. I would love to do that in a, a community where people live. I'd love to see what happened. And they said, mm, I'm a bit scared of that. But they said, look, we know uh, you preach the Bible. We've heard you preach. Uh, if you will lead us from the Bible, we'll follow you. Which was easier said than done. Um, and I, I moved in almost immediately from college. Wendy and I got married a few weeks later. I moved in with a young couple. Uh, for, I laid hands on them, they got filled with the Spirit. Uh, so gradually, Wendy and I, when we got married, we would, we would spend lunchtime, we'd say, who should we pray for next? 
and we'd fast and pray for that couple next. We'd pray for them, pray for them, let them get filled with the Spirit. Then we'd give them a book or a tape or whatever, and then they get filled with the Spirit. And then the next one, they get filled with the Spirit. Next one. Gradually the tide was coming in, gradually people are getting filled with the Spirit. Uh, also, there's a lot of opposition, people hating what we're doing. The guys who invited me hated what I was doing. I'm in my 20s, fresh out of college. They're kind of in their 50s. Uh, I think it's a bit like Peter Wagner says, they're the city elders, you're the witch doctor. You're doing the religious stuff for them. <laughs> they run the show. And that's what it felt like. Uh, and so when the thing began to loosen up, and I said, I want open worship. But what's open worship? Because we were like a typical Baptist church, we're in our suits, we prayed in when the meeting starts from the deacon's little cupboard. You know, we come in and we, and everybody's waiting for what, you put the hymns on the wall. And, uh, and I said, I want open worship. So at first, like, it's five minutes. What do you mean, open worship? Well, anyone can learn to sing or maybe bring a Bible reading. What, you mean your favourite hymn? Well, not exactly. Can we sing for those in peril on the sea? It's my favourite hymn. <laughs> not exactly what I meant. And uh, I literally went through this. Now, come on, what's on your heart? What would you like to sing? What's and so five minutes became 20 minutes. Gradually, we're beginning to see something happen. And there's no worship leader. Didn't that hadn't been invented yet. It wasn't on the, there, was, there weren't any worship leaders. Uh, it's just happening. And people, we changed the chairs so they're all faced in a circle. We're all facing, we're together. We're making radical changes and uh, killing the kind of church meeting feeling, deliberately going against it. So when we first put up the building, having met in a hired room, I said, look, we're in a building, please don't go religious on us. And they immediately did, immediately. So I would go early, and people are coming, and there's about 20 there, I'd be standing at the front, and I'd shout, hey John, did you see the football last night? And they'd look, and, and I'd kill that atmosphere, force it, and not having it. And gradually people, these days, just say, shut up, we're going to start the meeting. You cannot imagine the contrast with how it was and with people whispering and not saying anything to anybody. So I had to deal with all that. And gradually, things opened up. But a very, very key time for us uh, was when, and this was quite crucial in the way things went forward, there were people opposing what we did. So when the Spirit began to move, some of it was behind the scenes and rather uglier, really, but some of it was in the meeting. So, you know, get people praying horizontal prayers, like, we thank you, oh God, that, and then lecture us. And then if it got, people began to clap in church. And, and a guy would say, can we read Isaiah chapter 53? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's like, follow that if you can. You know, I'll kill this meeting. And, and we went through this. I mean, it was like torture. It took four years uh, for it to break through. And I wrote my resignation letter, in which I felt God said to me, very nice, did I tell you to write that? Um, okay, I threw it away. And a man called Alex Buchanan, you may not have heard of him, but he was an extraordinary prophet, was preaching in Eastbourne on the Saturday night. I was asked, would you like him on the Sunday morning? And uh, I didn't know him. I'd heard him preach once. And uh, during the worship, he began to prophesy. And he said... Uh, it started off kind of ordinary. <laughs> then it said, you who are opposing the work of my spirit in this place, 
if you don't repent, I will remove you. And, uh, and then it said, young men, prepare yourselves for ministry. Uh, in this place, my hand is increasingly upon my servant. He will go in and out. You will, you will grow more and more in this place. He will grow less and less in this place. Young men, prepare yourselves for ministry. I mean, that was, we'd never heard a prophecy like it. So he came back to lunch with us, and I said, uh, who told you about our church? And he said, I don't know anything about your church. He said, during the worship, I saw the tide coming up the beach and three guys trying to stop the sea coming. And then he laughed. And he said, they can't stop what God's doing here. <laughs> That's worked very well for you laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm battling my way through. He had this lovely Holy Spirit confidence. Uh, so he was on the inside track with God, which I loved. And he said, uh, they can't stop what God's doing here. And I mean, we were hugely encouraged. Within a few weeks, extraordinary thing, the, 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 the main horizontal prayer, I mean, he wasn't a young man, but he was working in his garden and he dropped dead, which kind of sent a shockwave through the church. Then one of the elders who was most hostile to me, but behind the scenes, a very uh, dishonest man, really. We went, Wendy and I were away on vacation, we came back, and they said, we've got to take you, so something's happened. What's happened? He had left his wife and gone off with uh, another woman. I mean, out of the blue, totally out of the blue. And it's like not a man you'd ever, ever dream that that would happen. He's gone. And then the third guy, one week, just blew up. He lost his temper, stormed out. And, I mean, you just look back and think, man, three, these three guys have gone. And the young men came through. The church radically changed. And it was like we were no longer driving with the handbrake on. We could do what we wanted. We could lead this church in the way we wanted. And that, that led a huge breakthrough for us. And then I started getting invited out. And uh, actually, just before that, when I was hoping for this guy, there was a conference... Because what was happening was, for us, I had my experience of being filled with the Spirit, local thing, I didn't know anybody else was happening these things. Then I began to meet people. And I met a man called Dennis Clark, who was a very godly guy, a South African evangelist actually, came to lead European Youth for Christ, lived in Worthing. Campbell McAlpine, extraordinary man of God. Arthur Wallace, who'd written in The Day of Thy Power a very influential book on revival. And Dennis started in his home a thing he called Prayer and Bible Week, which initially did just alone over the New Year days, turn of the year, last of the day, beginning of the next, and a few days around. And he so got blessed, he did it um, another year and asked some friends in. In a third year, when I got invited in, about 20 people in his home, and it grew and grew and grew and grew. And uh, we began to pray there for revival. So it was half prayer, half preaching. Half prayer, half preaching. It, was, it gathered some zealots. And uh, several years for me began and ended at those prayer and Bible weeks. And uh, one began to be aware there were other people in the country who were getting filled with the Spirit, gathering, and you began to, two or three things happened in that period of time. You began to hear about Ephesians 4 ministries, 
which wasn't on my radar before then. Uh, you know, I'd been filled with the Spirit, trying to build a church where the presence of God could be enjoyed. That was as far as I'd seen. Um, I had to change my whole eschatology because I was raised in a Baptist church which used to have a what they call a, a prophetic ministries conference every year where guys came with charts on the wall and told you what was happening in Russia and Gog and Magog and it's all going down the pan and the church is in the last days hold the fort, Jesus will come it was very, very negative That was until you're filled with the spirit and coming alive and your theology is, is all going down the pan so I had, to, I had to discover the church in several ways I discover first of all the local church where God is present in a way I'd never known before his immediate presence the sense God is in the meeting it's just breathtaking and now God's beginning to lift my gaze to actually he wants a glorious church and that world history is tied to the emerging of this glorious church and even Arthur Wallace who was from brethren background and had previously embraced the theology of depression which was pretty common in those days things are getting worse he began to open his eyes and think no no God says in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord shall rise above all the mountains and all the nations shall flow to it and of the increase of his government and peace there'll be no end I thought, I'd never heard people talk like that before and I read The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray which you've not, if you've not read I urge you to read and it just opened your mind to yeah, what the Puritans hoped for people like uh, a Carey who went to India went out on this thing God, he, he went I mean the, what that man suffered and what he saw happen but he went with this knowledge God will do this God is committed to reaching the nations God is committed to something glorious end time success and that began to lift your thoughts hey the church is not something that's just clinging on irrelevant it's another church is God's agent for blessing the world and so your whole theology of church I had to radically turn think no the church is glorious the church is wonderful and I got so excited about the church which was radical new, radically new no one was excited about the church you apologise for the church literally, literally people like Mick Jagger said Jesus was interesting, the church is a waste of time and you had to think, hmm and we had coffee bar evangelism in those days which people thought was a good way of reaching out actually it was a good way of trying to get people used to being with Christians before they had to go and face church which is an unreal crazy place to go and it's totally, see for me I, I got all my old friends to church once all of them came once I could never get them back a second time and they could never understand why I put up with it my, you're just pagan friends who tell you what they think they said what is weird I, but I've been converted so you kind of put up with it you learned, you had to put up with it but they said why did we walked away so for me, the people used to say evangelism is the main problem of the church that was very common, articles were written evangelism is the problem, the reality was this the church was the problem for evangelism the church was a turn off so that we had to have new wineskins two reasons, one to be relevant to my generation Two, to make room for the Holy Spirit. So we had to get out and start again. Start new churches, which when we first did that, we met with horrendous backlash. Back in the 1980s, 
I mean, we were, people are very hostile to New Frontiers. We were really pariah. I mean, this people, what are they doing? Because we're starting new churches. Uh, and I had to speak at conferences to say who we were, what we were doing, and people were really hostile. But we began to see Ephesians 4 ministries, not just tongues interpretation, but prophets, you know, and, and evangelists are authentic, and then, you know, even apostles. So all this was thoroughly new. No one was talking about this before. No one was talking about a church you're excited about. And I remember a musical came around called Come Together, came out of America. And if you ever heard that, stunning. There was a song in it which says, you are the people of God and he loves you and he's chosen you for himself, so come together. And it was a fabulous song. I thought my heart was going to burst. The people of God. To be excited about the church. Even reading these old pioneer biographies, I didn't read anybody who was excited about the church. It was about world mission. Uh, and certainly Hudson Taylor, these people, I just, wow, they certainly affected me profoundly. But the church. So people like Arthur Wallace and these guys began to talk about the church as glorious. It was, again, very, very new. And uh, helping people to love the church and, and the city of God, Zion, which was, it was completely new. So a guy called Lex wrote a beautiful song, I have seen the city of God, I cannot turn away. It's like it's captured me. No one was talking like that before. But the church has captured my heart. I want to see a glorious church. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful. Just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Terry said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 56. See you next time.